wanted to just kind of lay the groundwork for where how we got here. Um, one, we can think of years and years of of faithful praying, um, and that's kind of how I when I was talking, getting to talk about it, and, and I don't think I need to grab any of your attention, but that was what I was reminding people is that we got it. You know what we've been praying for for nearly fifty years across generations in the nation, we got it. And we can celebrate that, the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And that is, um, that is a huge cause for celebration. But that also, so what started as a conversation between Abby Dane and her MA, Abby, they're talking. Abby, the MA, Abby Schroeder, she asked, so what is the church going to do? And that conversation between the two of them branched into a conversation to Jamie and her team on what we're going to do with it. And that is where this came from. So the faithful prayers over years, because there's even been people in the church praying for the, our church to have a heart for what will we do in this area. And we've seen that growing. And so this is from that. So I am so excited that y'all are here for that. Because that is the question that we're asking. What are we going to do with it? You know, many of you are already doing something. Many of us are trying to figure it out, what we will do next. But we know that we all should be doing something. And I love, so I've been walking through the life group. In life groups, in adult life groups, you've been going through John. And I have absolutely loved that, the study of it. I just think it's a wonderful study. And so I wanted to, probably some of these things probably jumped out at y'all too, but I wanted to kind of share some of the things that in, in that study that jumped out. And one of them is the verse that said, um, it's, we're, let's go, we're going to John 6 and we're feeding the 5,000, a biblical account that we're all very, very familiar with. But what we talked about, what we kind of um, focused on in life group was the fact that Jesus asked the question that he already knows what he's going to do. He asked them, he asked Philip, he says, what should we do? We got all these people, what should we do? And he knew it. It says in his word that he knew it too. He said it to, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus already knew, but he turns to Philip and he asks Philip, and Philip looks at the sheer numbers and also calculates probably figuring out, you know, how much everything's going to cost. And he's like, this is impossible. And then Andrew comes and Andrew has this little meal and Andrew says, I got this. And you're thinking, okay, yes, yes. But what's it going to do, Lord? You know, kind of this, this, oh, yes. But, and Jesus takes that from him and turns it into absolutely everything that they need and even has leftovers. So Andrew's offering to him what he has, and Jesus turns it into what everybody, what they all need to eat. And I kind of think that that is the same kind of situation that we're in right now. The Lord knew when he was going to let Roe v. Uh, v. Wade be overturned. He knew that, and he knows what he's going to do now. And he's asking us, much like Jesus asked Philip, because he wants to open our eyes to it, and he wants to give us a chance to be a part of it. And that's kind of the question that I've been, you know, been rumbling around in my brain. What, what are we going to do with that? Will I be like Philip? And will I look at the sheer numbers and think it's impossible? Will I say, you know what, there's so many. We're going to leave it. We, we got expert we have life choices, crisis pregnancy centers. We will just send them on. That was one of their solutions, the uh, disciples. They were just going to send them out to the villages and let them go by their own. So will we do that? Will we just send them out to go take care of themselves? Or will we be like Andrew and kind of look at what we have and what we feel equipped with and what we feel like we have to offer, and will we feel like that's not enough as well and let it be, us be overwhelmed? Or will we give it back to him and let him do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine? Will we do that? And so that's where this class is starting from. It is starting from this offering, this me, my yes, being willing to do that. Um, and I want to put more things in all of our hands. 
So, in order to put all those things, I thought, hmm, I know three lovely ladies. Yes, Miss Christy Pritchard, Miss Leslie Hollowell, and Miss Tanya Frakes. Three lovely ladies that I think would be perfect for talking to us because these ladies all put their yes on the table long ago, and we're going to hear about that. But they were willing to do what the Lord asked them to do. They were willing to offer it just what they had in their hands, and the Lord has blessed so many other people, other people going through crisis, other women, other families, bless so many people through these ladies being willing to do just that. So they are here to equip us, encourage us, and energize us to realize that that one person that the Lord brings to us may be exactly who he wants us to pour into as we walk alongside. So y'all, you'll come on up. Um, let's open in prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, um, Lord, just thank you so much that we could all be here tonight. Um, you paved a way for every one of these ladies to be here, dear Lord. And I know how at the end of the day, there is so much going on and there's so many other things that we just want to sit and do. But I thank you that they chose to come and sit tonight, dear God. And I pray that you would just fill this room. Um, I just thank you in advance for these, um, for Leslie and Christy and Tanya, dear Lord, and what they are going to share with us, dear Lord, because it is so wonderful to be able to benefit from the overflow of their hearts, dear God. So I pray that you be with us now um, and just bless this time. May it glorify you in your name. Amen. All right, so I, I think what I would like to what I'd like to start off with is I would love to hear from y'all, and y'all do it in whatever order. And I would love for you to share a testimony of where you got started. Yes, uh, where where y'all got started in your in your journey of walking alongside. Yes. Okay. Um, so my name is Christy Pritchard, and um, I'm thrilled to get to be with you ladies um, tonight. I. I'm very blessed because I am good friends with Jessica, so I have seen kind of the inception of this whole idea, and so to get to be with y'all on this very first kind of kickoff night is just a huge honor. And so, where did I get started walking with people, walking through crisis situations? It was really funny because my automatic first thought, um, I've been in full-time ministry for many, many years, and so my kind of my first thought was, maybe those early crisis situations that took place after I got into ministry. But the fact of the matter is, that is not when I started walking with people through crisis. It was actually when I was 20 years old, and I was a student at Mississippi State University. And my junior year, I decided to be an RA, a resident assistant, in a freshman girl's dorm that was the Greek freshman girl's dorm at Mississippi State if that does not scream crisis day in and day out, I do not know what does. And I, I can laugh about it now, but the fact of the matter is, um, I did not know what I was stepping into. I really did not. I had come from a Christian family. Um, I was relatively quiet still at that stage of my life. Um, I'd gotten to Mississippi State. I'd gotten super involved in a campus ministry there. I was growing in my faith and in my walk with the Lord. I felt like he was calling me to be an RA. I stepped in this position. And don't you know that I was the RA on duty the very first football weekend of the year? Yes. <laughs> Again, freshman girls Greek dorm. And I will never forget the first night. I was making rounds of that Friday night, of that Saturday night, and at midnight, the RA on duty had the responsibility of getting all the guys out of the dorm. 
So I am making my rounds and I'm, I hear a male voice. It's like 12, 15 at night. So I knock on that door and um, a guy opens up the door and he is like not dressed from waist up. And I was like, okay, 12, 15. I'm going to put on my big girl voice. I'm going to need you to get out of the dorm now. And he was like, I'm not leaving. And I was like, okay, no, I'm serious. I'm going to need you to leave. He goes, I cannot leave. And he stepped back. And this young resident, 18-year-old girl, is just violently ill. She had been drinking for the very first time in her life. And that led to about the next eight hours of dealing with that and making sure it wasn't alcohol poisoning and going to the hospital and calling her parents and walking through that and all of that. And that, I think, was my start. Like when I really thought about that, that was my start. And honestly, the whole year was like that. The next week was rush. Got a call from a mama that was five hours away and said, my daughter did not get selected for the sorority she wanted to be in, and she has run her BMW into a light pole. Can you go to the hospital? Sure. <laughs> That's where we're at. And so we did that. Um, and I do believe, honestly, that is where God just said, okay, here we go, Christy. But what I want to tell you is I was a 20-year-old girl who had never had drama in her life, who had never personally had crisis in her life. But God said, here you go. So mine's not as enlightening as that, but I'm Tanya Franks. And um, that question to me, I was I had lunch with Jessica and I said, you know, it really just started in my heart. Um, the Lord just did a work in my heart and it was not necessarily towards working with ladies in crisis. That was not like the first thing there. Um, I had four little kids at the time, four under five. Um, I knew Angela, I think maybe during that time, I can't remember, but um, it was a crazy, crazy season. I don't know if any of you are in that wild season. Um, my husband travels, still does, but then um, traveled about six months out of the year. And so it was a busy time at home. And I was in the worship center during missions week, I guess, and they were announcing mission trips that were coming up. And I had not um, been on but one, and that was years and years before. But there was one I read about in Brazil, and I thought, oh, I would love to do that. And that was so foreign to me to even think I would love to do that. That was weird in itself. So that was the Lord. Um, but again, I had a traveling husband and four little kids under five. So absolutely not. I cannot do that. So I threw that in the trash. Literally, I crumbled up the bulletin that we had back then, threw it in the trash can. And probably months later, because I ended up going very a late ad. Um, so months later, I was in life group in this very room, if that's not odd enough, um, in this room sitting here over there at a, in a chair. And this has not happened to me. I'm not one of these weird people. Don't think about that. Well, I am, but not in this way. Um, but I was sitting in the room and I all of a sudden just I saw Brazil just flash across my eyes. And I was like, so that's weird. Um, so I looked at my husband and I was like, I think I need to talk to you when we get home. And he was like, I think I need to talk to you too. Okay. Um, so we get home and I said, I think God wants me to go to Brazil. And he was like, that's awesome. I think he wants me to go to Honduras. And I was like, weird. Let's go. 
so we did. So I went to Brazil in April and he went to Honduras in July. And that's a whole other story. But um, so as we're in Brazil, this is in 2010. And I don't know if y'all were around in 2010 with women's ministry, but it was the first year we read through the chronological Bible. So I was reading through that Bible for the first time, the first time I had ever actually read through the Bible. Um, So we were in, I don't know what we would have been in in April, but we were there in the Old Testament deep in it. I know that. So um, just reading through scripture that week in Brazil and loving the mission that we were doing there. And the Lord convicted me and just said, if you're so excited to do this here, why are you not doing this at home? And I just began to ask the Lord, don't let that die within me. And if you've been on any mission trip, you know the likelihood of serving and you're so on fire and can't wait to come home and change the world. And then three weeks later, you're back in to my little life with my four kids and my dear husband. Like, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted the Lord to change my heart. And so I just prayed constantly, don't let this die within me. Um, And the only thing I knew to do was to take action. Pastor talks about that, like God is going to do some things, but you have to do your part. And so I knew my part was to go to the missions ministry. And I said, hey, this is what God's done in my heart, what do I need to do? And they're like, you can serve at Bellevue Frazier. And I was like, sweet. Um, So I started teaching ladies at Bellevue Frazier. And that is where the Lord really gave me a heart for single moms to some degree. I didn't know what he was doing. I was just like, whatever. I'm just trying to give him, I didn't, y'all, I'm just telling you, I was not, and still don't have much. But what I got, I was like, here you go. I'll just do whatever. And I have this morning, they're going to Mother's Day out. I can go on Tuesday mornings at this time when I drop them off. And so that's what I would do on Tuesday mornings. And the Lord just continued to burden my heart with that. And then sometime, this is all not planned out, you know, how the Lord has a tendency to do that. I'm very thankful that at that time he didn't say, okay, this is about to be your life for the next, you know, 15, 20 years, because I'm telling you, I would have been like, "Mm, I'm out. Um, I have four little kids and a husband. I cannot do this, Lord. Um, I would have said that. But, you know, in Lord's style, he he shows us step by step, not mile by mile. Um, because that's what we can handle. And so I could handle a Tuesday morning at Bellevue Frazier. And that Christmas, this little sweet life group is now Chad Hall's life group. Um, But anyway, so that life group adopted um, a a single mom of five kids, little kids. Um, Her name is LaShonda, and a lot of y'all may know her. Um, She's amazing. Um, But we adopted her family, and she came to know the Lord through that Christmas. We didn't do it the way we do it now. We adopted families. But she came to know the Lord. And I would love to say that I took all this great initiative and I called and checked on her. And I know that's probably not what I did. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I feel for sure she probably texted me or called me and was like, hey, friend. Um, I feel for sure that's probably the way it happened. She would tell you exactly how it happened. Um, I don't remember, but I just know me. Um, So that's probably what happened. And all I know is since then, like life has not been the same. Um, The Lord was building a sisterhood between us um, that I would have never, never even thought of. Like there were times where my kids were little and I, I, if you had asked me like, do you have time? No, I I don't have time. Um, But there were times where I would just say, you know what? She needs to talk right now. So the kids are just going to have to nap in the truck in the driveway today while we talk or she would come over to the house and we would work on her budget for hours while my kids slept um but it was just constant that but i just encourage you to like don't think don't let things hold you back 
Um, because I would always use my kids as an excuse for things, you know. We're supposed to pour into our kids. Don't hear me say that. They're supposed to be our number one disciples. But at the same time, bring them along with us. Um, so there were times we, we have helped her move to I don't know how many houses and places. Um, but they've come alongside and been a part of that. Um, there have been times that we would go pick up laundry for her and bring it to our house and do her laundry because her machine was broken or whatever. And I'm just, this is probably four years ago. Um, a story that I just, I'll not forget. Um, so all those years that we've been building these friendships, um, my washer broke. And I just texted her anyway, so we because we just chat, you know, and I think I mentioned that. And she was like, drop your clothes off at my house. And I was like, okay, I'll come put them in the wash, and then I'll head to do whatever. I dropped them off. She did my laundry, y'all. She did all of my family of six's laundry. Okay. She washed them and, cl- and dried them and even folded them, which I hate to do. Um, she did it all. And that's not because I was, like, that has nothing to do with me. That's just because of that relationship that the Lord built. Um, so it's not just about us and what we give. It's really about what we receive in return. But that really is how it started for me was just a mission trip and how God changed my heart. Well, hey, I'm Leslie Hollowell, and um, I was thinking through, when I was in college, I had the privilege of being discipled by a girl by the name of Sherry Hathaway, and she kind of walked through life with me and a couple of other girls. Well, after I got out of college, um, I moved back to Gadsden, Alabama, and I just started a church. And going to a little church, and I started, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go to youth group and just kind of volunteer because I didn't really know how to get in. And I had the privilege of leading a girl to the Lord um, that night, that first night that I went. Her name was Jana, and she had came with another girl. And so I told them, I said, why don't y'all come to my house, and I'll just help you dig a little bit deeper into Scripture. And um, so we did that. And then the next week, they called and said, hey, can we come back, and can I bring my sister? And I was like, absolutely. So I remember we went actually to a playground. And I remember sitting on a merry-go-round, I'll get teary-eyed, with those three girls. And they started sharing the testimony. And, they, man, they came from a hard life. Mom, dad on drugs. Um, half the time didn't know anything. And so they just every week started coming to my house. And they'd say, hey, can we invite somebody? And for me, those four years transformed me. Because I grew up in a home where, you know, my these were the kids that my parents would have told me not to hang out with. Um, and this became a Bible study that lasted for four years every Tuesday in my house, Tuesday night. So Monday nights became what I called my date night with Jesus. And I turned everything off and I said, what are we going to teach them tomorrow night? And so I didn't have any formal training. I, d- I just had a heart for God's word because somebody had came along with me and and showed me what it looked to be a dis- like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you become a, a Timothy, you know, and and 2 Timothy 2.2 became my life first. And it says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable, qualified men who will be able to teach others also. And so that four years, I saw God transform lives. One of them is one of my dearest friends who's now a mom of four, but her name is Nikki. And um, 
Nikki started coming to the Bible study and she will tell you that she started coming to the Bible study because there was a cute guy there. And um, she was like, but God changed me. And I got to walk alongside Nikki. Her mom and dad had divorced and they had both moved off and it was her senior year and she didn't really have anywhere to stay. So she kind of lived at my house and I would come home and I would be like, you're wearing my clothes. But um, anyway, now I love it when she's like, hey, I got a bunch of clothes. You want it? Yes, I want your clothes. Um, anyway, but Nikki will tell you that she was a drug addict and a sex addict. She'd come off all of that. And so I began to teach her how to just get in the word herself, you know, like, and I'll never forget because she had hung out with a rough crowd. I got a call from her one night about 11 o'clock on a Saturday night and she was crying. So I was trying to wake up. I was like, what's going on? She's like, I'm fighting with God. And I was like, who's winning? (laughs) Um, And she was like, I'm so lonely. All the people that I used to hang out with are out partying tonight, and I'm lonely. I said, Nikki, it's worth it. Let's fight through this. Well, fast forward, she got into college, and I got her involved with campus outreach, which is what I had been involved with when I was discipled. And Nikki went on to Campus Outreach, and and she ended up being the girls' ministry director for Samford University. And I watched God transform her life. And she married, and she married a guy who had never been with a woman. She was like, only God, Leslie, (laughs) because I knew her past, you know. And I remember at being at her wedding, at her wedding rehearsal dinner, and all these girls just popping up one after another, just one after another. And so I was the very last one. And I got to stand up and I said, Nikki, they don't know you like I, they don't know 18-year-old Nikki, but I remember a night you called me and you cried your eyes out because you were lonely. But look at these girls who, you, you know, and so she and I got to have a moment there. But that's where you see it all come in. And then I moved to Memphis in 2005 to be girls ministry director here at Bellevue. And I'll never forget, I was sitting out to eat with a girl. And she um, was a college girl. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, wait, there's a friend. And she hollered, and this girl came over. And I said, um, well, this was before Nikki got married. But anyway, I, she was introduced. She said, yeah. She said, I had to go shopping because Campus Outreach, if you were on Summer Beach Project, you had to have a certain length of shorts. And, you know, and she was laughing. She said, I'm going to spend the summer at Campus Outreach. I was like, oh, my word, I did that. I said, where do you go to school? And she said, Samford. And I said, you don't happen to know a girl by the name of Nikki McClellan. And she went, oh, my gosh, she disciples me. <laughs> she just, and I was like, are you kidding? I mean, like, so I called Nikki. She was like, Dad, you're her grandmother, you know? But I was like, come on, Nick, come on. No, no, someone go there. But just to know how God in his sovereignty creates the stories, you don't have to do it. You just have to be available. And so, um, yeah, I'll stop right there. <laughs> love it, I love it. So we all now have an understanding kind of the depth and breadth too of um, their ministries and where they got started. I would love to hear some practical tools that, that you have learned along the way to um, walk alongside with other people, things that we could put into practice as well. I'm going to pull up my notes. <laughs> Okay, I can go. So, practical tools. Um, First, walking by the Spirit. Like, that's the first practical tool I can tell you. Um, Somebody called me recently, um, and she's taken over a leadership position with 
I forget, some big Bible organization. And she said, I need to know, like, how do you lead people? And I was like, you walk with the Lord first. And you walk by the Spirit and you pray a lot. And she was like, I need practical. That's the most practical I've got. Like, that's it. She called me two weeks ago and she was like, girl, you were not wrong. You really got to walk with the Lord. Yes. So that's, I mean, that really is the first practical step I can tell you is to walk by the Spirit. Because in our flesh, we're always going to think, oh, I don't have time. I can't answer the phone today. You know, because people are going to call you at all hours of the night. I had a girl call me and she said it was midnight and she was like, I did what you told me not to. Is there any way you can come get me? And I woke my husband up and he was like, you got to go. I know. And you go, but you walk by the spirit. Um, and the next day, you know, she was very remorseful. And I said, if you ever do it again, I'm not coming back. And she was like, I know. Yes, ma'am. Um, but you walk by the spirit, like you walk by the spirit. Um, and I would say like, if you're going to be working with people who are in financial troubles, don't feel like you have to foot the bill. Like that's a big thing. Don't feel like you foot their bill. Um, now you walk by the spirit and if the Lord tells you to pay their electric bill, you better be paying their electric bill. But sometimes he just, he, the big phrase that I remember, um, I read a whole lot of books because I'm telling y'all so not qualified to walk alongside many people. Um, but I've read a whole lot of books and the one phrase that stood out more than anything is that we're offering a hand up. We're not giving a help out or we're not giving a hand out. I said it wrong. We're not giving a handout. We're offering a help up. Um, so don't put the financial bills. Now, there were times with LaShonda that I'm telling you, I don't know. It's the Lord, but I don't know how the Lord did it and made her be able to pay the things that she owed. She worked two jobs and had those five little kids. They would have to stay home by themselves. It was a situation. Um, but there were times we would sit at my dining room table and I would do her budget and I would say, we just have to pray because it's not there. And she's like, that's okay. Let's pray. God's going to provide. And every time he did. Um, now, sometimes that meant I might be putting out there on Facebook, does anybody need their house clean? And then she would go and clean their house and get $50 and be able to buy diapers or something for her kids. Um, but that's a practical thing is don't feel like you foot their financial bill. Um, another thing would be, I scrolled down too far. Um, so don't foot the bill. Um, yeah, I said that, but really just remembering it's not a handout. It's a help up. Um, so walking by the spirit and just remembering, like, let the Lord do the work because you're not trying to fix their situation. You're trying to help shape their heart for the Lord. And until he changes their heart, the situation will not change. But when he changes the heart, the situation changes. Um, there was a, just a fun thing that I would always say to LaShonda is, um, no fun until the debt is done. So sometimes, like, when I'm walking alongside her, it wasn't just to be financial help. That was not where we started. That just kind of came along with the package. Um, but that was a big part of it because it was generational poverty, is where they were um, and now y'all she has learned how to manage her budget she has bought 
a couple of cars. Like there's all these things. Um, she has all of her kids are grown now. Her oldest, well, not her oldest, but one of her kids is in college. He's working on a degree to be a teacher, um, plays football at his university, just doing really well. Um, she still works two jobs, but now she works two jobs, one to pay the bills and one to travel with her sister. So she travels around the country just having fun. And I think it's a beautiful thing because now she can do that. And when we started, well, I don't know how long ago, 15, 20 years ago, that would not have even been a dream that it would not have even been a dream. But we saw God do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. Um, so walk by the spirit is the biggest practical thing I have. Um, you know, something that I constantly, I actually work in biblical counseling um, now down here at, Belle, here at Bellevue in the biblical counseling office. And one thing I constantly have to remind myself is I am not their savior. My job is to point them to the savior. And so the more that, as Tanya was just saying, the more that we can help them like really have a passion for God's word. This is where the transformation starts. So the more that we can teach them how to study the word, the more that we can do the practical things with them, walk beside them. I, I've done a lot of walking talks at Shelby Farms with girls. I love that. Just walk in and talk in and <laughs> we've had some, we, we're overdue though, aren't we? Um, but really just sharing the truths that God is teaching you. God's word says, I plant Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. And so we can't be the one trying to give the increase. We've got to be the one planting the seeds of truth. I call them seeds and weeds. The seeds are the truth of God's words. And we, you know, as we go along, we help them weed out the lies that the world has instilled within them that they're not worthy or that they're not good enough or they've made too many mistakes and so we take them back to the truth of God's word there's nothing I get more excited about than letting God's word come to life and he said his word will not return void it will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which he sent it and so again you know I was girls ministry director at Bellevue so I've sat on a lot of bunk beds at two o'clock in the morning talking to girls we you you live life with them not because you know you have to but because that's who, God instills that within you he he put it there because you've got a generation and and my heart is really heavy for this generation um every time i sometimes i look at some of the things going on out there it says there was a whole generation grew up who didn't know the ways of the lord uh, you know in kings and we're like whoa whoa, whoa we got to step back how can we so i'm really passionate about this generation and helping reach them but there's so many practical ways whether it might be a starbucks coffee or the cheap walk-in talks at the uh, at shelby farms or wherever be there to say wait why and I want to I want to say this one of the most practical things I think we can do that is so biblical and so full of truth is ask them the question to get deep into where they, that's what Jesus did man have you ever went through the New Testament and wrote down every question Jesus asked it's pretty powerful <laughs> but we've got to also recognize that in Genesis he started by asking God asked where are you Adam and Eve, you know, so when you began in the practical way of asking the questions to help them dig deep into why they do what they do, how they got there, do they really want to change, you're going to see, and I have to say this, and then I'm going to end, but, you know, there's some people who just don't want to. 
And you got to be very aware of that too. Um, I, I've often told leaders, you know, you might see a, a whole ocean of girls out there drowning and you go to save one, but they're going to drown you and them both. So you've got to back away and find the one that really is, they have a desire to change. And so that's only going to come as Tanya said, by the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because we can't be their savior. We point them to the savior. And that was going to be one of my big ones was um, do a lot of listening as opposed to a lot of talking. Um, and that does mean asking the questions. And that comes along with what Leslie said, too. That's one of mine. You are not their savior. They have a savior, just like you have a savior. And if you think that you are their savior, number one, that's really going to mess up your relationship with the Lord. If you think that you can do what only he can do, but number two, um, you're really going to sell them short because they won't have the abundance of the savior if they think that you are their savior. So one of the practical things I would say is there's a humility in it um, in, in, in realizing your position. <laughs> I mean, just to be honest with you, um, you know, Jessica brought this up way early on that earlier tonight that, you know, here comes Andrew with these fish and these loaves. Well, where did those fish and loaves come? Those came from the Lord. I mean, he had already provided those. And truth be told, Jesus did not need Andrew to bring him those fish and those loaves. He did that because he loved Andrew. And he said to Andrew, something um basically saying something amazing is about to happen and I love you so much I'm going to allow you to be a part of it I'm going to allow you to get to bring the food that is going to get multiplied Jesus did not need Andrew Jesus did not need me the night that this girl is like throwing her guts up in a trash can in her dorm room I didn't realize it at the time but he allowed me to be the one to knock on the door because he loved me and he was going to allow me to be his hands and his feet. If you look at the Old Testament, God allows so many people to be his voice. If you look at the New Testament, he still allows people to be his voice, but he's starting to use people to be his hands and his feet after he walked on this earth. So realize your position. You are one being used by the Lord, not because he needs you, but because he loves you a whole lot, that also takes a lot of pressure off of you because you're not going to have all the answers. I never have all the answers, ever. <laughs> God's word does have the answers. But so many times, it's like Leslie said, sometimes I just need to not try to be given answers. I need to be asking questions so that they themselves can know they have the answers within them. Because so many times when you're walking with people through crisis, Satan has beat them up. And Satan has convinced them, convinced them that they don't have the ability to make good decisions. But if you are asking questions and you are enabling them to look into God's word, you're enabling them to look within themselves and to hear from the Holy Spirit and for them to realize, oh, wait, I can do this. Like, that's such a beautiful thing, but that can't happen if I'm doing all of the talking all of the time. Plus, you're going to get really worn out if you're doing all of the answering all of the time. So that would be 
my one of my practical ones and then just realize it really is about what Tanya was saying and, and what Leslie was saying. It is just walking with them. It is walking. It is crying with them. It is laughing with them. It is, yeah, sometimes it's you calling them out and being the logic because if you have ever been in crisis, you realize logic goes out the window. So sometimes it's just going, okay, let's take a beat. Let's think. And a lot of times, I can't tell you the number of times they're like, oh, wait, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. I knew, how did I forget that? Well, you know, your world's spinning and, you know, all this new information just came and all that. So um, I just want to read to you real quick. Second Corinthians, you know these verses. You know these verses. But God has just reminded me of this so many times. Second Corinthians, Paul is speaking. And then starting in verse 3, blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's a lot of comforted. That's a lot of comfort going on there. But it's really cool. I'm a big, let me say this, I'm a big geek. I really am. And so when I'm studying, I like to look at the Greek and all that jazz. The word for comfort there is parakaleo, which you've actually heard Brother Steve talk about different variations of that. And there's lots of different definitions if you look up the original Greek. And a lot of them do have to do with consolation and comfort and providing for. But the very first definition of this word is to bring someone alongside. So when you read those verses, when he says, you go and you bring them alongside, like I have brought you alongside me, then you go, as a person walking with somebody in crisis, for me, it's a lot more doable that way. Okay, I'm just going to bring them alongside me. I'm going to bring them alongside me. Because a lot of times they might not want us coming along beside them, so we kind of do have to bring them alongside us. So. I'd like to add one more thing, um, and both of you kind of touched on it. But I think a big practical thing is to have boundaries for yourself um, so that as all of those are in the ocean, you're not being drowned with one of them um, so that you're not just going under. You have to have some boundaries. We don't want to become an enabler um, because if they are a person in crisis, chances are their past is hard, really hard. And when they have a hard past, a lot in, in a lot of those circumstances, they are going to gravitate and latch on to the person who makes them feel safe. And that's going to be you. If you're walking alongside them, you are going to be that person and you need to, they need to know that you are the safe person, but part of that safety is you have boundaries with them. Um, and something that you said is what made me think of it. Um, a girl that I've been walking with for about two years now, the Lord's done amazing work in her. Um, but she started texting. She would ask me things like, can I take two Advil? I don't know the answer to this question. Um, so I would just ask her all these questions. Like I just, I started asking her a thousand questions back. Um, but there would be times where if I was going to have to Google, some, Google something to ask, you know, to figure out, is this safe? Like, can she do this? She's a recovering alcoholic. And then we text my pharmacist friend. I don't know. Was okay with this. Um, and so there came a time where after I would do the work for her for months, 
um, I said, you know what? The next time you ask me things that you can do on your own, I'm going to need you to do the work on your own. And she's like, but why? Because I'm helping you. She was like, but it's kind of like I'm a kid, but you're a grown woman and you're not a kid. So you're going to be a grown woman. These are real conversations that I had with her, not just, yeah. Um, and so she would ask me a question like, silly things like, do you think I'll get sunburned? I don't know. And so I would just text her back and I would say, Google. And that is all I would say. She would ask me another, Google. And she was like, I'm so tired of you saying Google. I love you. Like, but that's really, like, you have to set some of those boundaries so that you're helping them learn to grow. Um, and she doesn't ask me those questions anymore. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I think from someone who works in counseling, you're going to see that a lot. And so when it's a toxic environment, you have to ask a lot of questions like, is this, is the, are laws being broken? Or, you know, is, is life being endangered? And so you have to really get to the depth of that. And then we have a lot of resources within the church and the biblical counseling area that we can resource out to. But again, that lady has to be willing to move and you find that that person is, you know, if the, it's a really toxic situation, um, there's going to have to be some interventions um, if, you know, to help her, but she has to be willing. And I was going to say, and I think this, I'm probably fixing to answer a question that might come a little bit later, but um, I, ha I think we all probably have this rule. I never, ever say to anyone especially in younger girls, I never ever say to anybody, okay, I'm never going to tell anybody what you're telling me. Like you're a confidant and confidants are good things. They need them. But for safety purposes, that will never, that can never ever come out of my mouth. And so I'm always up front when I'm walking with people a crisis of, I'm, um, I want to be your confidant. I want you to know you can trust me. This is not going to become a prayer request in my life group. Like, I'm not going to talk to other people about this unless I think it's absolutely necessary. But you will know before I talk to someone. Like, I'm going to tell you straight out, I'm going to call, make this phone call right here. But, um, but if safety is an issue, um, I think you have to, you have to intervene. Mm -hmm. um, there's two specific situations that I think of. One, a lady called and um, she just, she needed help. She said, I am in danger. And so walking with her through, what does that mean? Because that word means different things to different people. And so asking a lot of questions, um, are you being hit? Is it physical? Is it verbal? Like, where are you? Are you seeking counsel? Have you gone? Have you reported it? Have you talked to the police? Like asking those questions, um, have you talked to an attorney? I don't know the law. I cannot point you. I cannot give you legal advice. Um, but I can try to direct that. So asking those questions. Another one is just as toxic, but it was um, another mentor mentor e relationship, which is terrible. Um, but the mentor in this lady's life was verbally attacking her um, over the course of time. And she's a well-known Christian Christian lady, um, but was verbally attacking this girl girl she's grown um but was verbally attacking her and one day it turned to she physically hit her um and so again it was asking a lot of questions because i don't want to be the one to say i don't want to guide that i want the lord to say 
Um, so it's asking a ton of questions and then walking through. So how does that make you feel? Why do you stay? Like asking those questions, why do you choose to still be in that situation? But helping her walk through that um, and then seeing, like, are you willing to leave? On the one hand, the lady who called me saying she was being attacked, she wouldn't leave. Um, and that's, we can't force them. We can't make them make that choice, and it's terribly sad. Um, the other decided, I need out, um, and she broke off that relationship. Um, so a lot of it's going to come down to that person, but it's us on the front end asking them the hard questions because they have to make that choice. I love it. So one thing I would, for myself, um, sometimes you hear ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Sometimes I don't want to ask the question because I'm scared I won't know the answer. And in actually talking with all three of these ladies, one of the things that was very practical for me was to remember that, one, I don't have to have the answers, but in that very moment, we can pray, Lord, give me the answer. Um, and if he doesn't give you that answer, it is okay to say, I'm going to have to find out. And then you just kind of ask them some more questions. So their advice to ask questions is great, but don't be scared either. Um, be willing to say, ask the Lord immediately, because you do, like they've all pointed out, you want it to be his words that are coming out of your mouth. But you also don't be scared to ask the question that you might not know the answer to. It's okay. Yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times I've said, okay, I don't know what we need to do in this situation, but I'm going to find out. And then I go to someone that I know knows more than I know. I think so many times Satan says, <laughs> do it. I look at Leslie because all the time I'm like, Leslie, what I do? <laughs> you know, and um, I think Satan convinces us if you don't have the answer right now, you are failing them. You're failing them. And that is not the truth. You're failing them if you give them the wrong answer. <laughs> That's when, you know, and maybe even putting them in even more danger. So with confidence, just say it with confidence. Okay, I don't know the answer, but we are going to find out. It might take me an hour. It might take me a day, but I'm going to find this out for you. So don't, don't be afraid of that. All right. I could stay here all night with you, but I will ask. So... Just to kind of wrap it up, um, why, why would you encourage us to, to do this, to walk alongside somebody that the Lord brings our way? Um, I th part of what I have already said, and that is, um, well, actually, no, I'm not going to answer that. Let me backtrack. People have done it for me. That's not the whole reason, but that's just a little part of it. When I've been walking through hard parts of my life, God bought people that would step in and walk alongside me. And it's so fun now that, you know, we've all grown up and <laughs> many years have passed by to talk to those people now. And so many times they were like, I did not know what I was going to tell you. <laughs> like, I did not know. But at the moment, the Lord provided. Um, and so for me to get to be used by the Lord like that in somebody else's life. When I know that the Lord has so many times ministered to me through other people is such an honor and it is such a blessing. And again, now I'll go back to it. It's because he loves me. He's letting me do this because this was his plan all along was to use us, his followers as his hands and his feet and his voice um, and, you know, 
I think that um, he's always going to provide what we need in order to bring someone else beside us and to comfort us. If he puts that person in front of us, he will give us the wisdom. I pray James chapter 1 a lot when it says, if you are in need of wisdom, ask the Lord. Like, like I am saying it in front of a, the people. I'm saying to them, I do not know. But James promises that the Lord will give wisdom. So we are going to ask together right now for wisdom in this. And, um, and it's just... I guess it really comes down to why wouldn't I? And a lot of times, I there's no answer to that. <laughs> so, um, mine piggybacks on what you just said. It's Matthew twenty five forty. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so, why should you? You just follow Jesus. You just do what he did. And I just say, like, if he's put somebody in your path already. The choice is probably not, do I come alongside them? The choice is probably, do I obey God or do I not? Because if he's told us, he's commanded us to do for the least of these, that's people in crisis. If he's told us to do that and then he puts them in our path, then that choice is not so much ours anymore. It's a choice of obedience to the Lord. Um, So I think my encouragement is to be walking in obedience with Christ. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite passages, I, you know, I know alongside my own life how many people have walked along and helped carry my burdens, you know, and that God has given us that command. I love Numbers chapter 11. I, I use this passage a lot where Moses was just so distraught and he was talking to the Lord and he asked the Lord like six questions. Did I birth these people? Did I? I mean, he's just, well, here, let me just read it real quick. <laughs> uh, if I can, they have to borrow your glasses. <laughs> I love playing at home. Um, but, you know, again, when, when you begin walking along somebody who's in crisis, they're feeling this way. There's an overwhelmed spirit in them of, I can't do this. And that's the way Moses was right here. He says, um, Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I, um, conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat to eat? I can't carry the burden. I cannot carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, then put me to death right now. But if I've found favor in your eyes, don't let me face my own ruin. And then the Lord said to Moses, okay, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials. Have them come and stand here at the tent meeting. I will come down and speak with them. And this is what I want you to hear. I will take the spirit that's on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so you don't have to carry it alone. And I just don't think God ever meant for any of us to carry the burdens alone. And so he's called us to walk beside each other to help do that. And so this is a passage that I love to remind me of that. Um, Well, 
So I will, hopefully I'll stick around just a little bit, but I love that perfect segue into what I wanted to encourage each of you to do. This isn't a class about us taking, I, I took furious notes and I will put them into practice, but I don't have to go out on my own now and carry out the things that I've learned from these three ladies. I get to come back to these three ladies or whoever it may be in my small group or my other groups and friends, I get to come back to them and talk to them and get guidance from them and stuff. We, we aren't left alone. You heard them even bantering. They talk to each other. So you too, we don't have to go out and do it alone because we will walk alongside you as you walk alongside somebody else. Um, and I find that specifically encouraging too because that's, that, Bible, that Bible passage is a, just a great reminder of the fact that none of us have to do it alone. He will be with us, but he's also put people in our path. So, and that's why um, I think we can all just, let's say thank you really quick. So yes, 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 thank you. The, these, um, thank you so much. Um, there are, as, you know, just through my own walk, my, I have watched each of you. I have benefited from each of you. I have seen the fruits of those that you pour into. And so I am so thankful for the fact that you all get to um, be a part of that too.